Welcome to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. And now your host, Eyal Levy. Welcome to the URM Podcast. Thank you so much for being here. It's crazy to think that we are now on our seventh year. Don't ask me how that all just flew by, but it did. Man, time moves fast. And it's only because of you, the listeners. If you'd like us to stick around another seven years, and there's a few simple things you can do that would really, really help us out. I would endlessly appreciate if you would, number one, share our episodes with your friends. Number two, post our episodes on your Facebook and Instagram and tag me at Levy URM Audio and at URM Academy and, of course, our guest. And number three, leave us reviews and five-star reviews wherever you can. We especially love iTunes reviews. Once again... Thank you for all the years and years of loyalty. I just want you to know that we will never charge you for this podcast, and I will always work as hard as possible to improve the episodes in every single way. All we ask in return is a share, a post, and tag us. Oh, and one last thing. Do you have a question you would like me to answer on an episode? I don't mean for a guest. I mean for me. It can be about anything. Email it to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at U-R-M dot A-C-A-D-E-M-Y. There's no dot com on that. It's exactly the way I spelled it. And use the subject line, answer me al. All right, let's get on with it. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the URM podcast. My guest today is Matt Thomas, who's a producer, engineer, composer, and content creator. He's done it all from front of house to performance to production, working with bands such as Left to Suffer, Darko, Kingdom of Giants, and many others. Here goes. Matt Thomas, welcome to the URM podcast. How's it going? Good, man. And uh, like we were just saying before the call started, well, before the podcast started, uh, thanks for uh, dealing with my rescheduling. No, it's all good, man. Like You brought up a really good point. Being able to survive in this game is in big part how you deal with shit like that. Yeah, the unexpected. You have to expect the unexpected, even though you don't know what to expect. So yeah, I, based on how you deal with that is whether you're, you're going uh, gonna to succeed or not. Yeah, it's interesting. Like with Riff Hard, for instance, you know, we have a different guitar player every month. And that's something we started doing in the past year. As you know, from dealing with musicians as a producer, you know, musicians and the way that they plan things is... Uh, not organized at best. No. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. You know, I, I may have gotten a little spoiled dealing with producers for URM all these years because, you know, for a producer, they live by their calendar. Musicians, not so much. And so, like, we've had guitar players reschedule on us, like, four times, five times. And we're talking about, like, trips, like, trips that involve flights, hotels, like, crew. Like, Oh, man, I didn't know that was involved, too. Oh, yeah. We don't really do those remotely. Um, I mean, we can sometimes, but in general, the Riff Hard stuff has to be shot in person. I got to be transparent. I can't say I've caught up with that program yet. It's okay. I forgive you. <laughs> no, thank you. So. It's just URM for metal guitar. But like whenever they reschedule, these days it's because of their touring schedule being crazy. Like, are they going to tour? Are they not going to tour? Are they going to tour? Are they not going to tour? They don't know. And so shit is constantly changing. They're always so apologetic and they're afraid that I'm going to get mad. I'm like, no, man, I get it. And then they're surprised. Why would I get mad? I get it. The joys of not working a nine to five. 
you know, like you have to deal with the blows that come your way because you're working around the clock and everyone else is working around the clock around their unique lifestyles, you know, like, oh, I got a side job, but it works from 11 a.m. to 6 p.m., but it's okay. All my clients are on the other side of the globe. It's like everything's so chaotic for everyone now that it's just like, you can't get mad. You just got to assume that's their lifestyle. And then if something's really going to bug you, then it's probably not for you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Honestly, that's when I realized that maybe being a producer wasn't for me was when I did start getting mad about that stuff. <laughs> I want to say I come from a live sound background, but in my career of production audio, I started a career in live sound and that's where I started making my income. And that career turned me into a quote grumpy sound guy everyone knows them you've seen them oh yeah they're at the local venue or they're on tour they exist there too and there's a certain amount of beating you get in that lifestyle but fortunately i shook that off how the pandemic stops shows <laughs> i could not have picked a better time to open my first little spot to to do my recording it was like six months before it all happened while she sleeps was about to load into my venue and that was the day that all the bands were 180ing on the road. It was like a shockwave through the country and every band was like, wait, is this actually happening? And then while she sleeps is in the venue. And like, what's what's funny is like the band and the venue, you know, they got their contract. So they're playing that chicken game where like, who's going to say we're actually not doing this show. So we're sitting there waiting until like, it's finally six, seven o'clock, no load. And then finally the band's like, okay, we're gone. <laughs> and that was it. So I had this place and I was kind of just dabbling into, I just needed a space to hold my gear and my studio equipment and have a place to work. And then I fell kind of ass backwards into this Kingdom of Giants record. And since then it just kind of snowballed and now I have this career. So I, I'm one of the few who I feel like was kind of blessed by the pandemic. And because I haven't worked a live sound show since then, I am no longer the grumpy sound guy. And I've fortunately learned how to deal with people <laughs> and 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 the interesting types of characters that walk through the did you realize you were the grumpy sound guy while you were the grumpy sound guy absolutely because it was about i, I would i want to say about a year leading up to the you know show stopping that i actually picked up cannabis and then while on it everyone around me is just man you're so much better to be around when you're high and i'm like oh my gosh, I've become the grumpy sound guy. The normal me has become grumpy sound guy. So I started having to lean on that just a little bit. But then I was like able to just, I re, making the realization that I was grumpy sound guy helped me just start working my shit out. You know, it's easy to get jaded in music and you see it at all levels. Actually, I was just talking about this on a podcast yesterday with some guitar players and we were talking about how you see it in all walks, like in all job positions, but especially in crew, for some reason, people tend to get more jaded more quickly. Like it happens with band members. It happens with managers. It happens with everybody. But it seems to happen the most with sound people, tour managers, merch people, like crew, for whatever reason. We've all encountered that. And I think we've all felt jaded to some degree at some point in time. Oh, yeah. But we all also know what it's like to be around that vibe when you catch yourself doing it it's important to like take a step back and reassess i'm kind of one of those guys that like what do they say like pretty good at everything but not great at one thing like a jack of all trades i'm one of those guys like me <laughs> there you go i can hold my own pretty good on just about anything from like music videos to the producing videos I know how to do the YouTube and streaming thing i know how to put bands together i know how to be in a band i have as a band has worked with 
a decent handful of producers, even some prestigious ones. And so like, even though I, I, it's kind of like being the live sound guy, I've gotten to be a part of almost every tour one day, you know? And I feel like that's a very unique perspective. It's like, you see the tours where no one cares. You see the tours where everyone's lazy and late. You see the tours where people are divas. Then you see the tours where people are bringing in gear that don't belong in a 200 cap venue. Then you have the people that are very respectable and know what they're dealing with. And granted, they're small and few in between uh, or whatnot. But I feel like I've been very fortunate with having so many experiences that not being great at one thing has helped me accommodate so many more people than I've seen others. Like I'm aware of other producers and like, I'm very interested, not because of gossip reasons, but I'm interested in the negative experiences because of other people's times with other producers. I want to try to excel where people didn't really nail it, you know? And it's not because of maybe the producer perspective. It's just, I think maybe there's a communication breakdown or something, but I don't know. I like helping lots of different people because I've had the different experiences. I feel like I can empathize with all the different roles. I've been in a band. I've been live sound. I've doing the producer thing. I've done music videos. I've done all this stuff, but it's an interesting space, you know, because you get that imposter syndrome is what I was getting at. Ah, that. Yeah. Oh, you get the imposter yes. syndrome because I don't feel like I've like nailed green on a single thing. You know, I'm like, I'm like nailing almost it. It comes and goes. I'm on an upswing right now. I've always seen myself as someone who's not great at any one thing to like, I think that the important thing is knowing that about yourself and kind of knowing what your role is and how you can help other people. Like if you're a guitar virtuoso or something or drum virtuoso or just like the best editor on the planet and that's like the thing that you are great at, it's important to know that too so that, you know, that that's how you help other people out or that's how you are of value to this earth. But if you're not like a virtuoso, but you have a bunch of different skills and a bunch of different experiences and a bunch of different things that you are good at it that it's good to know that too it just it makes you more useful to be aware of yourself so i think self-awareness is such an important part of making this shit work uh, you just see so many delusional people oh yeah gotta have self-awareness Maybe a little bit of self-delusion. Just a little is good, but not too much. <laughs> I mean, that's ego, right? That's what that's for. That feeds confidence. Too much is bad, but like the right amount is confidence, you know? And for anyone who else is in the same spot, I mean, to be to have a very practical approach to this. If you're one of these people that's like good at everything, but not great at one thing, newsflash, you're a producer. That's a producer. Like in the traditionalist word of the, you know, form of the word, not just a music producer, just a producer. Find your niche and squeeze. You know, if you're a movie producer, you're a music producer, you're a concert producer. Like if you're good at everything, that means you know how to dabble in everything and comprehend and problem solve in everything, you know, because you've had so many experiences. So like, that's always been a big piece of advice because I've ran into people like this and they don't know, like, I just don't know what to do. I can't make a choice. I'm like, that's because you aren't thinking big enough. You know how to do all these things. You need to be in charge of like a project. That's a producer. Put together something. Put together, put together a film, a music video, an album, but a band, you know, put together a band, find the guys and put them together. Like that's that side of the industry. Not a people talk a lot about like the, the string pulling side, you know, like there are people that do that and there's an art to that without having to be a snake, you know, and that's producers. That's what their job is. You know, I guess in our particular case with like URM producers is like the music producer. But even then we know 
that the hats change from person to person. You got one guy that's like just great at engineering, but maybe not much of a songwriter. Another guy who's a fantastic songwriter, but hates mixing, you know, or something like that. So these are just a unique range of producers that happen to be great at putting songs together, but still have their unique skill set, you know? So I think the producers in general is a very interesting term to me which is why I like URM because it's like a nice concentrated section of the music producer side that I like. Well, thank you for that. I like how you look at this, by the way. The idea of taking that broad skill set and making things happen in the world, man, it does not need to be snakish at all. Like, no, you need people to have some sort of a vision for how everything works together and then have the people's skills to basically mobilize other people to use their skills too. That's a very interesting idea, what you said about like when someone doesn't know what to do with all that different stuff. And it's like, well, start a band, put together a project. Like you're absolutely right. Like I've noticed that when I feel the most on top of shit is when I'm basically assembling pieces on a chessboard. Yes, the dream team, right? Yep. The big project. Ooh, I love that. Like. I get fueled off that crap, you know, when I just see everything happening, everyone's getting their bit, you know, everyone's getting their piece out of it, you know, and then you get the big result at the end. And then it's like, whammo, you know, I mean, you're a busy guy, but have you seen this new show called The Offer yet? Uh, no, I haven't even heard of it. Okay. The Offer, it's got a few people you recognize, but I'm not going to name names, but it's, it's on Paramount, but it's a mini series, like 10 episodes about the making of The Godfather. Oh, oh yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yes. Okay, yeah. So, and like the lead guy, I forget the actor's name, but he plays Al Reddy, the producer Al Reddy. He's like the main guy and it shows like all the crap that this guy dealt with, including the mob, <laughs> you know, and all the threats. And he just manhandled like King Problem Solver, you know, and I'm watching that with my wife recently. And I'm just like, I feel like I'm that guy. I also completely empathize with like Francis Ford Coppola losing his mind, pulling his hair out as the artist. Like, it's not supposed to be lit this way. I'm like, I feel that too, though. You know, but um, the producer guy, it's like, I'm just, it sparks the conversation of the producer situation. And I don't know, even listening to this podcast, you know, I've heard so many producers come on here and you hear about the vastly different kind of lives they live. And the duties they create, you know, so like the term producer is already itself such a loose term. The definition's always changing, but I like the general idea that it's the person who's overseeing whatever the project is, whether it's a song, a band, a movie, whatever, whatever the project is, insert project specifics into the equation. But it's the person that kind of oversees it all and has both the, well, not both, but like has the experience the knowledge and savviness to make it all work, I guess. The problem solver, the glue, yeah. Yeah, but not just as a project or product manager, like also as a creator. It's interesting. Oh, have to. Vision. This is the part where I often say, like I say, he gets it, you know, the get it part, you know, like this guy gets it, that guy gets it, that guy doesn't get it. We're talking about the vision, like it's not the production side and like what's happening physically in front of you. It's about the intellectual property that's manifesting in your mind right now. Like, do you see the end result in your head? Do you hear the end result in your head? If you don't, we need to have a discussion, <laughs> you know, like, or we need a different arrangement of people here. And that goes for both film and music, you know, songs. It's like, producer in, in many modern cases, modern uh, metal especially, like the producer often has the final vision, usually mixed with like the guy in the band, you know, there's that one guy, right, that has the vision of what it should be. 
you know, like that guy. And then sometimes they, they meld, sometimes they don't. That causes the drama. But again, it's the vision part that you have to have. If you don't have it, then just knowing people isn't enough. Like, man, I feel like even, even if you're not the producer role, like say you're a solo guitarist, like a solo artist or ever. Yeah. Like a Vivaldi kind of guy, right? Yeah. You're a solo guy. Not him specifically, but like that. Or like a Jason Richardson or something. Yeah. A virtuoso musician where like you're known for that thing. That's the thing you do. I mean, you can do other things too. Jason's great at orchestrating. He's great at writing. He's great at, he's a super talented individual, but the thing all centers around his ridiculous guitar playing, but like he can't go to a producer expecting the producer to give him vision. The reason Jason is where he's at is because he's always had a vision for his playing and for his music. I, I feel like having vision is really, 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 really crucial. And if you don't, if you're not that type of person, you need to get with someone who does like you have to. Exactly. And that's one of those unique combinations where like maybe your producer is the one with the vision. I mean, I've been in cases where I've been the one with the vision and I even approached the band. And then I've been the one with the vision because the band approached me. And then I've had bands approach me and say, we want you to produce the record. But what they meant was we want you to record and mix it, <laughs> you know? And then of course you have the ones like, we want you to record and mix it and make it sound like this particular band. And then those are the ones I usually try to avoid. <laughs> but yeah, vision. <laughs> you know, they've been on my mind a lot for bad reasons because of what happened recently. But like, I've just been thinking a lot about Black Dahlia murder and what it was like with them in the studio. I worked on a few of their records kind of like in an engineering capacity and stuff and uh, assistant capacity and, you know, got to experience how they worked. And I think part of what always made them so great was like they were a band or are a band that always would come into the studio with full vision only needing someone to like make them sound great and that's great like somebody has to have it so yeah so if it's whether whether it's like the band leader or the producer that's hired or somewhere in the equation there has to be the person or the team that know exactly what is supposed to happen where we're going yes where the trip stops you know like we got to know the destination because uh, like I've had many bands come in and I didn't learn until after, you know, well past the starting date that like you guys didn't really have a full plan here, did you? <laughs> and now we're having to go into like, you know, salvage mode and I'm like, great, safe mode. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I think a great example that I can experience that, that I've experienced recently is uh, is Kingdom of Giants there. I'm working on their second record that I've worked with them now. Uh, it's their fifth record, but it's the second one I've done. And there's one particular guy in the band. Everyone contributes, but there's one particular guy that has like the vision. And ironically, for the longest time up until recently, he was like, he kind of, I don't want to say he contributed the least, but like he he could help the least. You know, he he maybe he had trouble with click or like he didn't know how to do Dawes and stuff like that. He was just a guitar player, you know, but he had the vision and he, he was so squeezing hard on it. And basically it was like this, he wanted to do what I've, it, you know, taken as like Tron, Blade Runner, Blade. You know, anytime you hear the, you know, just the cool <laughs> cy cyberpunk music, you know, and then the little, all the little arpeggios, and he he just wanted like every song should sound like Blades walking in the room and about to murk everybody. I'm like. I got it, <laughs> you know, let's, let's, let's do it. And he's like, and then the rest of the band was like, cause Johnny's a clean singer. 
that's where like the rest of the ambient vibes come in. But this second record, he came in and he just had the vision. And I, fortunately, I worked with him, a, uh, working with him a second time. I kind of knew more what to expect from that. Like he's the these he's the idea man, and uh, I've learned what kind of leeway I have with it. So like it's coming together a lot better this time. But man, if he didn't have the vision this whole project would just be kind of like a shot in the dark. It'd just be like another metalcore band. That is great direction, though. Everything should sound like Blade's about to walk in the room and murk everybody. That's like, that's, <laughs> that's a great direction. That's my interpretation, at least. It took a couple of conversations. <laughs> it doesn't matter if it's sad or not. Like, just having the direction of the project be that, like, defined, that you could describe it that easily is really helpful. That's a really important thing because let's, let's, I mean, let's be honest here. Like one of the, if not the biggest problem in anything today can probably be traced down to communication. And communication is the key to fixing shared perspectives, like common frame of reference. You know, people don't have a common frame of reference. You got nothing. And what happens when we start making a song or a record? We usually have nothing unless someone has a demo, but half the time, sometimes bands go in the studio and just to write a record, you know? So it's like, you're really starting from ground zero. So without a frame of reference, you have to learn how to communicate with each other on what you're doing. And um, part of that, like, learning process for me, I, I just did, like, just all nothing but local bands, you know? Like, some were great, some were not. And just getting my my pins, you know? Earning my, earning my keep for, like, dealing with every every type of musician you can see. And I've learned to communicate with these people better as musicians. And I like having fun. I like being a little loud and belligerent. I'm trying to get people to like let their guard down. So that that's my personal approach. I need these people to let their guard down so I can get them to reveal to me what they want out of the music. So, I mean, not every time, but half the time, like I basically turn into like a Jack Black in the room, you know, just kind of belligerently obnoxiously loud sometimes, but if it just gets them to loosen up a little bit, you know, then I can get them to talk, <laughs> you know, not just, oh, whatever's cool, you know, or or like, do you like this or this? What's my favorite answer? Um, Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> like, come on, man, talk to me, communicate with me so I can get what you want out of this because or else you're just going to end up with a, with a Matt song, you know? It's like, there you go. It's my song. It's but it's you. Well, what if that's what they want? If that's what they want, then my job to get them to tell me that. All right. <laughs> if if that makes any sense. Yes, totally. Day one always is just almost all talking. Like I I will dig and get motivation out of these people and specifically what they want. Managed expectations. I need to know what you think I'm about to do, and I'm going to correct you if that's wrong. You know, and then we or we can adjust accordingly. Can. Uh, it took a long time for me to learn how to get in front of that problem. And now like everything's become such a breeze, you know? And then when people get concerned about things like revisions and stuff, I'm like, I'm not even tripping because I handled like the communication problem way earlier in the process. You know, I got this band to realize they can talk to me, each of them individually, even the ones that like hide in the corner, you know, like, no, we, we can communicate too. You know, I know how to be loud. I know how to be quiet. <laughs> Let's like... What do you want out of this? Let's make you happy, you know, which is at the end of the day, that's it, right? I get paid to make them happy. When you're dealing with that aspect of production, the cumulative vision or the shared vision or everybody being happy, like I get what you're saying, but I want to I want to dig deeper into this topic because yeah. I know that you can't always make everyone happy. And in some 
projects, lots of projects, there's either competing visions or not everybody gets it or like some people are in it for, they're just in it because like it's cool to be in a band, but like other people are in it because this is like, this is their fucking life. And not everyone in every band, even big bands, not everyone is 100% always on the exact same page about that or their role in it. So when you get into a situation with a band where there's incongruity, let's call it that. Yeah. How do you approach that? Like, do you assess which vision is the best or like, how do you go about it? <laughs> well, I mean, it depends on how it got there, but uh, I would say if it was in person, like this happens frequently, that's why I say it. But uh, like, if it's in the room, honestly, I, I just stop talking, period. Not, and I don't like disengage them. I just stop talking to let, it's just kind of like, you got to let them get their oxygen out first. You know, if it's in, in the room and in the moment, you got to get past that. Beyond that, now we're like back at the phone call stage or like the next day stage or whatever. We're like, okay, cooler heads might be here today. So how do we solve this problem after cooler heads? So first off, my first part of the answer is cooler heads prevail. If you're in the heat of the moment, get the hell out of there. <laughs> it's like, no matter what, if you have to, if the producer has to pull the plug on the whole session and I swear to goodness, I've done it, you know, like you just have to sometimes like, nope, there's nothing good's coming out of this right now. You know, like, let's just stop. So now you're past that point. You, at least for me, I have to talk to these people one-on-one. -on -one. I am who? I'm the producer. It's my, this is my job. I have to make the glue reconnect. So I have to talk to them, find out what their individual issues are. You know, right off the bat, just by talking to them, like, like I don't know, like, like, a, like a counselor, basically, like a therapist, you know, just asking the right questions to get them to tell me what the problem is. You can find out that maybe the problem isn't as big as it was in the beginning. You know, maybe this guy's problem was just, he didn't like this one little aspect of the bigger problem. Like, oh, that's an easy fix, dude. Like, come on. Like, this is silly. You know, then you can like, you can help disarm those like silly arguments. Then if you get to the bigger ones, Ooh, I ran into these ones, man. Like there was a band I worked with that came in here, flew across the country to come in here and do a song. Basically going through it, I started realizing there was this kind of existing tension between the two members. I could just tell. And they come in here and they have like a disagreement on a song. And I try to explain to them, like we got to the point where they were just a flat out disagreement. Like this guy's like trying to write a song about something very special. This guy's trying to you know, like he's mad because he thought the first attempt at writing a song was great and he doesn't want to defend it. You know, he doesn't want to let it go. So I'm like, guys, yep. you have two songs in front of you, you know? And I was so like, I was so determined to get them to realize how small of a problem this was that I'm like, I will do the second song for free. I said the word free because you guys are getting dumb on this, you know, like just you have a song, we'll get your song done for the special, you know, lyrics you want to do. And then we'll make this song that you wrote happen too with a new top line. Unfortunately, after talking to both of them individually and they vented out to me multiple conversations on the phone, they flew back, the band broke up. <laughs> you know, the band broke up. You got to the heart of the matter, basically. Yes. And that this is not that final point was that I feel like you just realize these people don't even talk. I explained to both of them after the fact, like you guys had an issue that you weren't, you didn't even first off identify and then talk to the other person about. So when you showed up, you were sitting on thin ice already, man. This was ready to just fall. You unknowingly came to a therapy session. <laughs> so, and, but fortunately like they're cool. 
I'm cool. I helped them realize like, this is just natural, you know, natural. This is to happen. Maybe you two working is just not the right combination. And now they're homies again. This was like a year or two ago. And now they're homies again. They don't do a project, but they realize that they just don't mathematically work together as musicians. And fortunately, again, talking, communicating, learning that these are people, you have to like imagine your own stress in life and apply that by every person in the room. They're all going through the same crap. You know, it's like, talk to them. Maybe they have no one to freaking talk to about the, the their insignificant feeling in the band or something, you know, like it's needing out. I can come back to the desk and explain to the band, hey, this dude just wants to play this thing on the bass. That's all he really wants. He just wants to get a couple of these in there. What is that so hard? You know, again, communicating, but I know the band won't do it. I've been the band. We don't talk. <laughs> not openly, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of like the, the, the norm for most of these bands. And I've dealt with a couple of slightly bigger bands. I want to say big bands, but slightly bigger. And it, it's, it's the same thing. These are just dudes going through the same problems, you know? And, uh, fortunately through my experiences and meeting so many different types of people, I feel like I can quickly identify their issues, you know, uh, whether they are willing to talk, talk to me or not about it is, you know, up to them. I can only do so much, but I feel like I've been able to handle a lot. Whether or not they decide to talk to you about it and uh, do what they need to do, you having that knowledge allows you to do what you need to do. I feel like I've kind of hit at least varying degrees of intensities of those situations, you know, to where like, I feel like I could handle pretty much anything point, you know. And then uh, as a producer on the business side, you know, through all these experiences, you put in, you know, your policies, you know, like whether it's something just a simple business deposit policy or if it's a procedural policy these these are your little guardrails you know and then if anyone runs into it has a hissy fit and runs away chances are you just dodged a bullet <laughs> you know well i've noticed that like the more pro a band gets the less any of this stuff really becomes an issue oh totally just because because it's not that people don't fight or don't uh have their disagreements or annoy each other or stress out like everybody does. It's just human. But the more experienced a band is the, and the more they have under their belt, just the better they are at dealing with that stuff and figuring it out. That's it. They know what's important. You know, like if a band is on their fifth album or something and they've been making a living off of this band for the past three albums, they have a vested interest in this thing not going away because they don't want to go back to the real world. <laughs> no. Who wants that? Seriously. <laughs> it's like, I mean, I've known a few people who have wanted that, but like by and large, nobody wants that. And that is way worse than figuring out your shit. So I think like when people are faced with, we've got this really good thing going, we should figure this out versus this thing's not going to, continue and i'm gonna have to get a job <laughs> they figured out oh no yeah it, it is oh no for a lot of people i think <laughs> once you have uh gotten to the point where you're living the dream i think it's very hard for people to see it as if they're going backwards i don't consider it going backwards i don't think there's anything wrong with uh getting a regular job or 
anything like that. Like nothing wrong with it. Not necessarily. No, Yeah, no, nothing wrong with it whatsoever. But like, I think that in the mind of somebody who has devoted their life to something like a band or whatever, it can be a rough thing to give the band up and have to enter the real world. I know the band's going to make it, man. The band's going to make it. I swear, mom. Well, what if it does make it? And then it unmakes it. You know, exactly. I've seen people firsthand live that life, you know, and then come up and come down or come up and stay up and come up and keep going like all of them. come up go down go back up again like all possibilities are possible i'm glad you touched on that that like making a living side and i think that's the part that's scary for some people is how do you make a living on this how do you pay your bills with this you know and and for me my mentality is i ain't it's never gonna happen so i have to continually fight for multiple sources of revenue streams, you know, small as it, as it is, it all adds up. You know, I'm at a point where I've, unfortunately I'm doing okay. Okay. You know, like I'm not doing amazing, but I'm doing okay. And I couldn't say that three years ago. You know, I'm like, that's up as far as I'm concerned. Overall. I was going to say, you seem like you're doing pretty well these days. I'm okay. I'm, I'm doing okay. I, 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 I am, I don't know if you see uh, my video here, but I, I, I am in, in what you like to call a dentist office. It doesn't look like a dentist office to me, <laughs> but then again, you got you have the sexy lights on, as opposed to the autopsy lights. <laughs> yeah, they are there. <laughs> they, they do exist up there. But uh, yeah, this is like a, I found a commercial suite space and I've turned it into what I deem as a multi-production studio. I do mostly records and albums here. If I do other things like video related or other projects and uh, I run sometimes like I program light shows for people and I'll program program them in here. Also, not going to lie. I mean, sometimes it's just a getaway, <laughs> you know? You know what you're saying though about the multiple revenue streams. I think that unless you're in fucking Slipknot or something, you know, unless you're in like that kind of band, that is what you need to do. And that's what you've had to do always. Like I remember when I went to Berkeley and I went to Berkeley in the late nineties, early two thousands, and I took some music business classes and I don't talk very well about my time at Berkeley. Like there's a reason I dropped out, but some of the music business classes were really good and were taught by people who knew, knew their shit and were like, they came from the industry. They weren't people who just failed the industry. And even back then, at the height of the record industry, they were telling us that like, unless you're in Guns N' Roses, you better have like five or six revenue streams. And so like, I've always seen that as what you need to do. Yeah, you definitely need to, uh, both as a producer and as a musician, any of the heads, if you're into, especially if you're into production and creative, like if you're into IP and production, both, you got a lot of ground to cover. And most people I meet, don't even know half those revenue sources exist. I'm like, bro, just sign up and you got money coming. <laughs> like, you know, or you know what I'm talking about, BMI. Oh, yeah. Song Trust, Sound Exchange, all these, you know, like it's not just your CD baby payments. <laughs> you know, that's, your, that's like your mechanicals, but you got all your all your performance royalties out there across the world to, to collect. I, I found that out. I, I fell backwards into that. I don't know, a few years ago, I, I found Song Trust and I was like, what's this? And then I learned more about it and I'm just like, Oh, you mean that's where my money's at anywhere else but this country? Got it. And then I talked to a rep and they're like, yeah, you have like two or $3,000 in there. And I'm like, what? So the more I learned about the multiple revenue streams, the more I realized like there's like so many ways to make a living in this, not just like service, but you also have the music itself. You have 
instruction, if you want to learn and if you want to help someone else pass on, dude, there's 8 billion people in the world. Someone needs help, you know, <laughs> like someone needs to learn this, you know. Hey, everybody, if you're enjoying this podcast and you should know that it's brought to you by URM Academy. URM Academy's mission is to create the next generation of audio professionals by giving them the inspiration and information to hone their craft and build a career doing what they love. You've probably heard me talk about Nail the Mix before, and if you're a member, you already know how amazing it is. At the beginning of the month, Nail the Mix members get the raw multi-tracks to a new song by artists like Lamb of God, Angels and Airwaves, Knock Loose, Opeth, Meshuga, Bring Me the Horizon, Gojira, Asking Alexandria, Machine Head, and Papa Roach, among many, many others. Over 60 at this point. Then at the end of the month, the producer who mixed it comes on and does a live streaming walkthrough of exactly how they mix the song on the album and takes your questions live on air. And these are guys like TLA, Will Putney, Jens Bogren, Dan Lancaster, Tui Madsen, Andrew Wade, and many, many more. You'll also get access to MixLab, which is our collection of dozens of bite-sized mixing tutorials that cover all the basics, as well as Portfolio Builder, which is a library of pro-quality multitracks cleared for use in your portfolio so your career will never again be held back by the quality of your source material. And for those of you who really want to step up their game, we have another membership tier called URM Enhance, which includes everything I already told you about, and access to our massive library of fast tracks, which are deep, super detailed courses on intermediate and advanced topics like gain staging, mastering, low end, and so forth. It's over 500 hours of content, and man, let me tell you, this stuff is just insanely detailed. Enhanced members also get access to one-on-ones, which are basically office hour sessions with us, and Mix Rescue, which is where we open up one of your mixes and fix it up and talk you through exactly what we're doing at every step. So if any of that sounds interesting to you, if you're ready to level up your mixing skills in your audio career, head over to urm.academy to find out more. What is Song Trust? So I, I know Sound Exchange and BMI, of course, and all that, but like, what's Song Trust? Song Trust is another performance rights organization that will do all the dirty work for collecting your performance rights royalties from other countries other than the U.S. They can also operate your BMI if you want. I believe there's other options than Song Trust, but they, I just think they're probably like the most convenient and the most easy to go to because. Look, first off, 50 plus countries in the world, right? Some of these places, you have to have like a physical office. You have to have like a physical address. You have to be like a citizen or whatever crazy things that you can't accomplish unless you're doing crazy lead work just to get your couple of pennies. So this company, you sign up and they will receive, uh, of course, they got a you know, cut of like what, 10, 15% or something like that. I can't remember. I'm, I'm not a sponsor, but uh, they will collect their bit and then you get paid from all the other countries that have been streaming on Spotify or radio or wherever else. And so you get that. BMI is US only. I forget the guy who said it, but the, someone said it perfectly. Like the royalty collection system is a government-ran system, like D, like DMV or something. You go there, but that's just for the U.S. only. Even Canada. Like, I got friends in Canada that listen to music I listen to, but that means I would have to go through SongTrust to get anything else. And like I said, I think SongTrust, if you want it for convenience, they can handle your BMI as well. I think I'm just old school. I like doing BMI by hand, and then I do SongTrust for the rest. And then you got SoundExchange, which is for non-interactive streaming, like Pandora or, or Sirius Radio. That one's great. Yeah. 
Like people forget about that one too. I'm like, you got money in there too. By the way, are you doing a cover? Technically you got a cut in there too. <laughs> you know, like learn the net. And this kind of goes to like a little thing I preach to the, like the younger artists that come here. I'm like, look, I think there's been like this misleading thing for a certain, I can't, I'm not going to claim when to win, but there's for a long period of time, they had it burned into people's heads. You can't make money in this industry, especially as a musician. And I call bullshit, complete bullshit. They just don't tell you how to do it. You know what I mean? What happens is you mix that with local bands that are creatively blocking themselves because they're trying to write the one song that they've been writing for two years. Meanwhile, Pop Roach is dropping like two albums of, you know, in three years or whatever they're doing. Like, you know, it's like, guys, you got to get the, you got to get moving. You got to get content out and then get people streaming and stuff like that. That's just the machine part. You know, I, I say get in there, learn the machine, get your income streams moving, then get creative. You know, like I, I had a short, uh, uh, a one-on-one with Joel, uh, not long, like a year ago. And I quote him, be competitive first, then get creative, you know, get in there, get living and then get creative. I like Joel. <laughs> Joel's a good guy. And kebabs. So he said, be competitive first, then get creative. That sounds like something he would say. Yeah. And I absolutely agree because if you don't know how to work in this industry, you're just going to be the guy that's doing the job and can only squeeze two or three hours a night and you can't commit to your family that you might have. You know, it's just stress, stress, stress. But if you learn this industry properly, you know, and a lot of this also has to do with putting your pride aside. Like you got, there's a bigger world than your pride. You know what I mean? Pride is great, but it is a bigger world than that. And the people that have their pride are the people like Slipknot that make a living off this. They can afford to have their pride involved in this. Other people need to learn because guess what? And we're talking about just heavy bands right now, right? Heavy bands. There are a million of you. <laughs> you need to stand out and you need to work harder because everyone else is doing the exact same thing you are. And then newsflash, there's a bigger music industry than that, <laughs> which is why so many metal ba- metal guys are going the country. <laughs> you know? So it's just like have the pride, have the creativity, but learn the industry you're jumping into. You can make a living on it if you learn how it works. And I'm talking about a good living. You can make two or three, four grand a month. And, and that's a survivable income for someone these days, if, especially if you're single. There's a few musicians I know, I won't name, but like they live off of royalties because they've gotten enough size of a catalog that like they just have the normal income. You know, I have a CD Baby account that accounts for 10 songs that pays like seven or $800 a month for 10 songs, passively promoting, like not promoting anything. Like it is possible to do that, you know, and it's my unique situation. We, um, we have a couple, we had a couple of playlists, but they're not on there anymore. They're just on people's personal playlists. So again, I learned, realized like we you just got to get it out there and then you keep going. Don't stop. You know, you just got to do the thing, do the song and then finish it and then go to the next thing. Sorry, I'm, t- I'm tangenting a bit because I just get so fired up about productivity. Oh my goodness. Well, I mean, and that is what it is, is productivity. Like uh, at the end of the day, all this is doable if someone executes a lot. Like that's really what it comes down to is why do you have 10 songs that are sitting there earning $700 a month, like passively? Well, because you probably have created way more than 10 songs and found 10 that can do that. People who relentlessly execute on their ideas and put stuff into this world are the ones who are going to reap the rewards of this type of system. Like that's uh, crucial. Absolutely. I try to pass on this information as 
much as I can to the newer or younger uh, musicians. And I've seen it successful. Like I, I dropped the information on one person like a year and a half ago. And recently, because, you know, BMI just paid out and he's like, got my check. And uh, <laughs> I'm like, see, like, that's what happens when you do the thing, you know, like just do the whole job, like make the music, but you got to complete the package. You know, it's like same thing with producers and royalties, you know, like if you're if you're going to do the real producing thing and you do the real good job. You know, I think you should fight for those, what, one, two, three points, whatever they give you, you know, traditionally, you know, like if you do songwriting, make sure you got your credits, man. That stuff adds up. And and again, this is just royalties. You know, if you're an artist, you got merch, you can do educational stuff. And then you got normal service stuff, you know, collaborations and get pieces. The more you do this, it all adds up to a livable income. Once you're floating, now you run and gun. Now you find things to squeeze on and just make it snowball. Build bigger teams, build bigger projects. Always shoot higher. I aim too high sometimes. <laughs> I would rather aim too high and then get knocked down a peg than uh, be realistic. I agree. I think it's way better to aim too high. I aim high all the time and it's just, it can come a shock to my system when, I'm, when I get around someone and I realize that they're just not on that same level. I can get a little frustrated. You see it on my face sometimes, you know, like, like, why aren't you this excited about this? This is awesome. You know, like, this should look awesome. This is sick. You know, and you're like, eh. I'm like, damn it. <laughs> I got it. You know, it's like, you got to be fired up about this stuff. But do you have to try to do that? Because I don't. Like, it just comes naturally. Hell no, I don't have to try that. I think my realization, I know this is a weird reference, but my realization came from a video. It was Keanu Reeves getting out of like the golf cart on the movie set. And he like grabs the first person he sees and he goes, we get to make a movie today, you know? And I'm like, I, cause I love that dude's energy. You know, he's, he's just so genuine and just a nice guy. And he appreciates everything he has considering at least publicly known of what he's lost, you know? And so I just see that. I'm like, why aren't I more excited about this? And then after a while, I learned to really appreciate more like, I get to make a metal song today. Who's complaining? <laughs> like, I'm at a spot where I get to do this, you know? So I want to keep it. I'm going to grind and I'm going to be happy about this, you know? Because, like, I don't want to lose this. Hell no. And I'm going to shoot high. And if I can if I can get, you know, bigger clients or bigger projects or something under my belt, then fantastic. I don't want to disagree because I totally actually do agree. Like, the idea of we get to do this is a really great thing to think yeah but at the same time like you know how you were saying at the beginning that like uh you know you were finding yourself becoming grumpy sound guy and uh, i do think it's important to also be real not that like being positive is not real but like when something is shitty to acknowledge it and to just be honest about the fact that it's shitty i think is important too like i feel like sometimes there's some people you get around who are not cool with that, not cool with anybody voicing a concern or speaking up about something not being cool. And I think in order to keep something going, you have to voice that stuff. One of my biggest realizations lately was with a band where I found myself at odds with the main musician in the band that I communicated with on a job. It was obvious the frustration was there between us, you know, as we would text each other and or even in person, you know, and then like, I think at one point, there was just like a little, a little catalyst, just a little message. I, I think it was probably me finally just kind of like, Hey man, like, you know, WTF what's going on, dude. And then like, it just 
we finally like the the gate opened, and then we realized both that we needed to be quickly honest with each. We just needed to brain dump on each other real quick. Like, dude, it's incredibly difficult working with you, and he's like vice versa, you know. And then like we got it out, but then we also realized we're both fighting for the same freaking thing, you know. Like we're both fighting for like the best record that we can possibly make. And after we got it out of our system, we realized it was silly, you know. After the fact, and we were just like cool. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. I'm everything. You know what I mean? Because we finally actually spoke it out and, and crushed it, you know, and we realized there was no animosity. It was just the frustration of certain things, you know, certain communication problems. Once again, talking it out, fixed it. Uh, who'd have thunk, <laughs> you know, talking, you know, this, so many problems come from people just not being honest about what they want out of something, you know? That's actually great relationship advice too. Don't, yeah. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. Oh, great pro tip for keeping your relationship going. Absolutely. I'm not, you know, some prolific producer that's got like these great stories about working with Andy Wallace or some shit, but like I've got my own little hole over here in Sacramento and it's working out. And I feel like I've dealt with enough of these situations to where like, I know enough to where I can at least start passing the information on, even if I don't achieve the accolades that I shoot for, you know? So like, I, I, I at least get my solace in that. You know, there's, I, I have officially seen musicians I've worked with become better musicians and bands and people because of the influence I've had on them. And I'm like, it may not be like the big high level thing that I've dreamed about yet, you know? And I say yet, <laughs> but like, I'm, I'm at least at a point where, like, if I die tomorrow, like, I, I feel like I've done some pretty cool shit. I feel like no matter what level you're at, and that's all, like, a subjective thing, like, what is level anyways. But no matter what level you're at, you're always going to feel like there's something else. Like, even Metallica seem like, and I, I don't know them, but I who hasn't seen a Metallica interview at some point? I'm a fanboy. <laughs> okay, so... I feel like even they feel like they have something to prove still. I think so. There's still something in them that makes them feel like there's some level that they need to reach. And if they feel that, then everybody else on earth is going to feel that because there is no level <laughs> beyond them <laughs> that exists on this planet. Um, not right now. Not right now. At least not not in that genre, at least. No. You know what I mean? Like, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I agree entirely. Like, there's always another level up you know that's my run and gun motivation you know it's like yeah this is cool but this could be better how long do you normally give yourself to feel like something's cool i have a funny motivation for when i know to move on and it comes from working with darko with josh and tom specifically josh or baby j everyone knows him as baby j and it's just is it something that you can look at and go that's sick like that's it that's all. That's all I need. If I can look at something and say that's sick, I'm a Californian, by the way. If anyone doesn't know this, listening, but <laughs> if I can walk away and say that, then accomplished. You know what I mean? Like I don't feel like it's possible to get the reaction out of anything I work, especially something I built, and just like I don't know, have an emotional breakdown, either positive or crying or whatever. But like, I just need to be able to go like, yes, that's sick right there. Like I want to show that to somebody. I feel like that's like a prerequisite. It is. You'd be shocked at how many bands, even somewhat bigger, move on without accomplishing that. I've seen it, but the best that I've been around, like there are all different types of people who are like 
successful, right? But the people that I have encountered who are the best, they tend to always have this like selfish, like I need to think it's sick mentality. And in some ways that is like their business mind talking because they figure no one else is going to feel it's sick if I don't think it's sick. Like I need to get, I need to like inspire that in myself. And if I, like I'm the barometer here, like if I feel like this is fucking sick and like I want to punch a wall, everybody else is going to also. That's it. And, and, and I deal with a decent amount of like heavy music, you know what I mean? Like dark is pretty heavy and, and like spite and stuff. And like, so I right in front of me before anyone else does, I have to be the one to be like, is this breakdown a breakdown? You know, is this smacking as hard as it's supposed to smack, you know, with, I mean, without having to always dive into comparing to other bands, like just on its own, does this smack, you know? And, uh, cause that's what these bands are expected to deliver at least by their markets. So it is, it, it's a prerequisite that you just have to know that. And then uh, I think that does separate, you know, I'm kind of like, I, I see myself as someone that's walking on the line right now. Like I don't knock it out of the park always, you know, I, I, I have, I've had a few decent successes, I feel like, and I feel like I can hear something and say, you know, this is fucking sick. You know, I've, I've, I've punched some holes and I've punched some holes in some walls over here, you know, and I've broken a few, you know, bones <laughs> swinging my arms or something to it. But like, uh, I've also had projects where they didn't. And unfortunately, you know, maybe just, there were just obstacles that were immovable at the point, you know, but in those moments though, I try to make sure that who I'm working with is also aware of that. And also aware of like, look, I feel like we've exhausted this idea, but we know where our issues are. Let's fix this next time. Let's not drag this song out for a year. You know, it's up to you if you want to release it or not. But right now I think period, we need to walk away from this song. You know what I mean? If it's not sick, you know, and I've done that multiple times. And sometimes we've been be able to revisit the song and fix it up. Other times they just put it out because they just, they were okay with it. I'm like, all right, well, they're, their bars may maybe a little lower, you know, and then other guys, they just never retouch the song ever again. I've even done that with Darko. There's songs that have not made the cut because at the end, it was just like, uh, I don't know. I'm like, well, that's all I needed to hear. <laughs> the song's not there yet, you know. With the best songs that I've been involved with, there's no I don't know about it. Exactly. There's no I don't know. It should be every part. Intro, verse, chorus, pre-chorus, post-chorus, blah, 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 blah. Every part should be, at, on, even on its own and in and out of context, should be like, that's sick. And if there's an I don't know, then it's like, all right, well, either it's backburnered now or we fix it right now. That's really all you can do. There's a lot of talking that we can do about it, but in the moment, those are the actions that you can take. You can either fix it now or you can put it on the back burner. And sometimes like uh, we've done like uh, an album for like with like 15 tracks and I think like 12 or so we're going to make it on the record. So like we knew that there was like some slots open for songs that weren't like, they were just at the bottom of the list, you know, of what was really making us excited. So sometimes it's an easy, easy decision if you know you need less than that. <laughs> so it's not, it's not that bad. But other times I'm working with like maybe a local band or something like that. That's just the one song that they're working on. This is all maybe they can afford at the time, you know. So in their perspective, this is everything. So you got to you gotta make it sick. <laughs> it's, it's, that's the job now, right? You know? Man, I'm working on new material for my band right now. And it's the first time in a long time. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. I'm excited for that. It's coming out pretty cool. But like I'm going through the same thing where like there's parts in some of the songs where 
I don't know. I like, I think it's cool, but I don't know. And then I'm just promising myself if I feel like that, fuck it. I'm killing that part. I'm fixing it. And then without fail, I'll find something where I'm like, fuck yes. And then it's like the missing puzzle piece always. And, uh, oh yeah. And there's never a question. It's never a doubt. Once I find that puzzle piece and it exists, like I don't even remember what the part I was questioning sounded like. Like it's gone. Yeah, totally. And and a lot of I think a lot of that is achieved through a bit of haste. You know, like I think of like uh, that old uh, green screen video of Shia LaBeouf doing that. Do it. You know, just do it. I think about that all the time. And so, like, I've seen so many times where like a person sitting down, they're doing the guitar, t- you're d- they're doing guitar tracking, and then you get to that one spot, that one riff that's either not cool enough or you're just not hitting enough, you know, hitting the right way. And then you just do it over and over and over. And next thing you know, you're 30 minutes in, 45 minutes in. You're an hour into one freaking part of a song. And that's just, that's nightmare fuel, man. <laughs> like, like, that's not where you want to be. So, like, I, I try to keep the process moving. And I, I like the leave it till you hate it process, personally. Because if I, if you give these people too much time to think, you know, it's just going to be their own undoing. You know, like, yeah, man, it's interesting though. Like I agree most of the time. <laughs> it is different from person to person. I'll admit that. It's more like song to song in that I have been involved with songs where everything was like just there, I guess, or like came together super fast or songs where like it was all there. And then someone got like neurotic about parts and then actually made it worse. Like I've definitely seen that. That's more often than not the case. But also I've seen it where like there's a part that's just like not there yet and you obsess over it for like days or weeks or even months and then you figure it out and it's way better. Oh, yeah. But I do feel like I, I don't I don't know what the percentage is, but like let's just say 99% of the time I agree with what you're saying. Okay. I Yeah, I'm just, I just mean like the leave it till you hate it. Like, look, we're not going to spend an hour staring at this rig. We have the skill set that you brought to the studio today because I'm very pragmatic that way. Like I'm a practical, pragmatic person. I'm, I'm kind of Spock in this. I like having fun. I'm emotional, but I'm also very Spock about like what we're doing. Look, you have the amount of skill you brought in. You didn't come here to turn into freaking Jason Richardson overnight. Yeah, you should have started that 10 years ago. Yeah, you should, or you should have started at least at the, after your last record. You know, the time between, you know, because I have bands that come in every time, they try to like all of a sudden they do this stuff that's outside of their skill set. I'm like, look, I'm not saying you can't do that, but it's not coming out as clean as you think. Not today. Not today, yeah. Like, I, I don't think you're there yet. And I we can do it, but I recommend you don't because you might not like what you hear people say online about it, you know, if you're looking. <laughs> so like I can be the one guy that tells you that it sucks or you can have 10,000 people tell you or 200 or whatever. <laughs> but if we're in the moment and you don't have the skill set for it, we'll either do the best we can and leave it there or we'll leave it blank, move on. I'd like to get most of the song done or most of the take done for like what we're, if we're doing guitars for song one. All right. I'd like to have most of this done ASAP so we can hear it as a whole and then really find out what the worst offending problems are you know, in the assembly process. Cause it's like, I've, back in my old days, I would spend hours and I wouldn't even get past the course, you know? And then it's like, that's that early frustration. So I try to, my own personal experiences always keep them moving and then stop and then let them, it's kind of like, you know, 
don't don't watch the ball in baseball when you hit it. Just freaking run, you know, just go. And then let your base coaches tell you whether you need to stop or go. Don't watch where the ball went. That's not your job. You know, your job is to run, you know. So right now I kind of like impose like, all right, here we go. Let's go, you know. And then like when it's done, I'll turn around and comfortably be like, cool. Here's where we need to go back and fix stuff. Now that you can hear it as a whole, punch stuff in instead of like analyzing every single freaking note as you went through. That's actually in line also with Joel's uh, speed mixing process. Broad strokes first, just get as far as you can quickly knock out all the low hanging fruit, just get it done. And then you have something to listen to. Then you can like refine it. Get the lines done on your tattoo first, right? Isn't that how it works? Like get the lines done first and then fill it in. I have virgin skin. I don't know. Yeah. Me, me neither, but I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. At least on the TV shows I've seen, you know? So, but yeah, I just want to get them through. Cause like, I know these guys that come through and they get so hung up on the tracking process. I'm like, dude, you're just, you're sucking all the fun out of this. And then soon you're about to suck all the progress out of this, <laughs> you know? So let's just keep moving. And then we'll see what problems we really have when you listen to the song, like one time, you know, like you have to understand these are like, I don't know what the number is either, but 90% of the people listening to your music or more are not musicians. <laughs> they are not musicians and they don't, care about these finite details i just be the voice of reason in the back of their head to remind them of this as they go i'm more than happy to go as far into detail as any musician wants to but i will always make them understand like this is we're going into that realm that like isn't going to change whether you get a gram here or not my friend this is not that stuff right here you know like right now you got a bigger problem and your chorus ain't good <laughs> your vocals ain't good or you'll have vocals why are we here doing a song without vocals? <laughs> so it just, I don't know. It is interesting, though, what details people hyper-focus on. Uh, some producer I worked with as an artist, you know, I whenever I would hyper-obsess on certain details, they would say stuff like, that's not going to sell you more records. And I'd be like, I know what you're saying. Like, I, I get what you're saying but you don't know that oh true but the general sentiment being like if the song's not great and you're hyper focusing on how much snare wire you're hearing <laughs> yeah. you've got the wrong priorities right i have a band i'm kind of working with um where i've 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 ran into that before and then after they've learned to like be a little more loose on those kind of details you know about like quote the perfect anything whether it's a riff or mix or drum fill or whatever, it's like, just let it go for a second. Can we just hear the song, you know? And then like, I, I then I was able to point out like, see, like this chorus needs help on the vocal and like this needs weird. It's like, you copy and pasted this, it's weird. It's like, you guys gotta look at the bigger picture here. You know, like we can look at details all day long. That's like, that's easy stuff. I mean, hell, and I, I literally name drop URM. I'm like, we have a whole program that teaches you how to look at the details. But what your guys' problem is right now, is your overall song. Like, let's get a good song, then we can worry about details. Details don't even fucking matter if you don't have that. No, not at all. And I've, uh, being in my position in the recent years, I've worked, I work with a lot of local bands or, you know, unsigned regional bands, whatever you want to call it. You know, uh, like I have had lots of clients that have come through with material that's like, yeah, we got like 10 songs. And they I'm like, cool, send me the, the, the demos. And they send it over. And like two have like, half vocals i'm like you don't have any songs what is it <laughs> you know in the past they would come in and i'd be like i'd be like i'm in the dumpster already i would just like i would just 
be screwed from the day we start because I'm like, all right, I've started. Now I'm committed to having to help them get their songs done. Now I've kept that way beforehand. I'm like, I need to hear vocals. I need to hear a freaking top line. I don't care if you think it sucks. I need to hear your first attempt at it. If I hear nothing, I can't help. If I hear something, I can at least help you. Like I can guide you or I can co-write with you. But I, I need your starting point first of the song for everything, including vocals, you know, and they get so these more amateur bands because I work I do work with a lot of them They're, they get so like scared to try to commit to anything and I'm not great with lyrics but I'm pretty good at melody and, and cadence for vocals personally as a, as a writer so I can help them I say bring me some lyrics just bring me some journal like write some journal notes or whatever you're thinking and I'll at least give you some ideas I mean, it's basically riff writing you know like just write a good freaking vocal riff and then put your lyrics to it in the most crude way. That's that's like the crude approach. If you've got if you're working with someone that has nothing. You know, fortunately, I also have worked with people that know how to like spit out lyrics like that and a melody like that, you know, and I I know how quickly it can come together and I know how slowly it can come together. Fortunately, knowing that range helps me get in front of the slower artists' problems, you know, like not having songs written, not having top lines written and tell them like this needs to be accomplished first you know if you went to because like i'm kind of that guy people see like they go to like when they drew folks unavailable or too expensive or blah 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 you know any of these guys i'm like i'm kind of like that next tier they go to i'm like i'm totally cool with that i'm here to help you and i can even help you prepare for when you do work with people like that too you know i know what these guys tend to expect you know you can look a lot more professional and prepared if you do what I suggest here with your music, you know, and then what we do here will also come out great. You know, I'd say four out of five times they end up just being re repeat clients for, with me because <laughs> it, it works out so well. It's funny because like I, I get like submissions at URM all the time for different things. Like there's, you know, always something that people submit for, whether it's mixed competitions or whatever. There's always something going on. I'm hearing people's songs all the time through these submissions. And it's interesting to me what people pass off as songs. It sounds like a lot of the time, like their very first scratch ideas before they have like anything worked out. It is like in their opinion, a song. I've never understood that. It's like, don't you think like uh, repeating the same riff 32 times in a row and then having like a second <laughs> riff that goes 32 times in a row isn't a song? I, this is... Oh man, you're hitting at home right now. Like, I hope anyone listening at this point, you know, understands like and agrees with this. I mean, a song in a traditional sense, because the traditional definitions still apply here. Well, I'm cool with the traditional definition of a song. Oh yeah. Like, and I don't have it like a verbatim definition, but for me, a song is something that like at its physical core is lyrics with a staff melody to the lyrics or chord notes. That's it. And the rest of it's completely open for interpretation slash production. There's some variations according to genre, like in metal. It might not be a melody, but there's a riff. There's something, something there. Yeah. So for metal, if it was, let's say we're talking about like Cannibal Corpse or something, right? That can still be represented on sheet music. Yep. Still. And that's what people don't understand. Like music theory is there for a reason. There is an explanation for almost anything musically now it's up to the people involved that they want to really involve that or not but my point being is if you can't look at it on some form of like sheet music in in your mind or whatever you don't have to actually print sheet music but if you can't see that and like say this looks like a song 
then it's not a song. You know, like where are your words? Where's any form of structure? It doesn't have to be pop structure. It could be anything. Like if you just want to go verse, 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 chorus, verse, chorus. I mean, sure, you know, but like where is the actual song that you could hand to a musician or a real musician or a composer and they take it and they can interpret it? Like that was that song by Adele, uh, Hello, right? Is it just hello? I think it's what's called. Probably. I, yeah, I know this because I heard multiple interpretations of it. Obviously metal. People like making a pop song metal for fun. And I heard that one dude, Frog Leap Studios, he metalizes a bunch of songs. And he did Hello by Adele. And it kind of remind, reminded me of like Soil, like the band Soil from like 2000s, you know? And it was really good. And then I just came to realize like, oh, it's because the song is really good. You know, it didn't matter what kind of presentation it was. It was pop song with no beats and then a freaking metal song, but it was the same song. And a real good song can be interpreted across any genre. Like the best songs can be taken across any genre. You can literally turn a melody into scream. Just keep the same pitch. Hell, actual screamers still have pitch if you listen carefully. <laughs> like if they really know what they're doing. You know, not like Sam Carter Architects pitch, but like, like there is still pitch to the scream. They can go high and low vowels and stuff. So you can even follow a melody if you wanted to, or you can just one note it, you know, but it has to be translatable. But if I can't see your song at, at its most simplest form, and it's just, you know, like you said, 32 riffs and 32 riffs and a solo and a blast beat. And then like, that's, that's no. I would say it's one riff 32 times. Yeah. One riff 32 times. And then there's like a scream because they wanted to go, you know, on a spot or, or blah. Hey man, we're, you're, you're getting generous there. Like I'm lucky <laughs> with some of these, if they put vocals on them. I know that's uh, man. And that's where I just have to get in front of it again and just tell them like, guys, you're not ready. You're not ready to come in here. For me, a song is what you said, but like, it's like, there is hard to explain, but you need to be able to identify it as this unit, like this standalone unit. Like it's got a beginning, a middle and an end. And, uh, and like, it's just, it's like a self-contained entity almost. And there's no question about what the beginning, middle and end is. Like, there's no question about it concluding or like, it just like uh, being ambiguous, like a song is a song and you know it's a song. Right. There's purpose. Yep. There's purpose to a song. If you're just writing or making a song, or I'm using quotations, a song, just to be heavy, you're going to be a flash in the pan. Even if you succeeded in creating your project, it's going to come and it's going to go. You're gone in a week until the next Friday releases. If you want anything more than a week's attention, it's got to be a song. And that goes for metal too. Like, all of it is can still be translated. And they're, I'm trying to remember who I'm thinking about right now. Traitors is a really big, like, hardcore band. You know what I mean? Not big, I'm, but, like, their music is big. That's what I meant to say. Really heavy hardcore band, you know, just very gutturally vocals, right? And listening to their song, though, I'm like, I still hear a song, though. There's structure to these vocals and these cadences and passages of stanzas or whatever he's making of vocals. And there's a structure to the song, buildups and everything like that's still a freaking song and if like a real musician wanted to could take that take those chords and beautify it a bit on a piano hell richard cheese did that you know what i mean like do you remember you remember richard cheese right yes sir oh thank goodness awesome richard cheese did that he took heavy songs at the time new metal and stuff and turned them into like lounge songs because they were still good songs <laughs> you can take any piece of music and reimagine it like whether it's a uh... A new arrangement, reharmonization, like there's any million ways that you can take 
a good piece of music and uh, rethink it. And that's why, like, uh, you'll be in an elevator and you'll be like, why do I recognize that? And then you realize <laughs> right, it's yeah. like the smooth jazz version. The smooth jazz Of, like, version. a good song. Like a Metallica <laughs> song or, like, a Beatles song or something. It's like, why do, why is this familiar? Why is this sax line so familiar? Oh, wait, that's Careless Whisper. Never mind. Yeah, that's, that's, well, yeah, that. <laughs> I do think you're going to have a harder time translating Hammer Smash Face to, <laughs> like, smooth jazz. But I definitely do think that music is somewhat independent of genre and arrangement. Absolutely. Somewhat. Though, like, it's interesting because genre tropes are there for a reason, too. Yes, they are. I agree completely with what you said. I think it really is independent because the production is ran by a person and that person has a preference and a set of skills and tools for doing a certain thing. And that person was approached by a certain band that wanted to do, to do the song. You know what I mean? Like, so it's like you could have a death metal band approach a pop producer and you're going to get a wildly different result, you know, like, and not, not that many people think of those kinds of combinations, but like, I, I kind of praise Godsmack for doing something like that. Godsmack is one of the, I want to say like the first, but like, that I could say is one of the first bands that where I would say like an older band, not really old, but just older and went to a younger producer. Yep. Well, they went to Eric Ron. Yeah. And I, I saw that when that was announced, I was all like, yes, that's what I've been waiting for. And sure enough, they, they made a bunch of bangers. You know what I mean? I'm like, imagine if Metallica went to go with like Dan Lancaster, what would happen? <laughs> you know, and that's that's that independence between like the song and the production genre stuff. You know, it depends on who you go to. Um, a lot of people come to me for like heavy stuff because of Darko Spite and Metalcore because of like Kingdom of Giants. But like I can do all kinds of stuff. You know, I, I like doing pop. I like doing rock. I like doing I, I can't say I have a history doing country, but like I can appreciate it. You know, what I, mean? know. I, I, <laughs> I totally, totally understand. Fuck country. Sorry. I can't stand <laughs> no. that shit. It's it's all good. I think that that ties back to the revenue stream thing. I am trying to keep my options open for income reasons. I don't want to like. I'm not saying I'm pursuing anything, but like, if something came my way, I'd be like, at least I know what I've heard. Crappy country. I know what that sounds like. No, you you should do what you feel. Oh no, yeah. I'm just I'm just saying like I I've learned to even with genres that I don't like because I don't really I don't like country. I don't listen to it, you know. But like for I'm just saying I've. I feel like I've learned, I forgot who said it. Someone, it might've been on one of these podcast episodes, but like someone said, find something in it to like. Oh yeah, for sure. Especially if you're working on it. Yeah, you have to. Oh, totally. Yeah. And I've started doing that with more music these days. Cause like, I, again, I try to put myself in other people's shoes. Like I have this, from my perspective, my stressful life of doing music and all this and metal and stuff like that. And I'm like, man, there's someone doing the exact same thing in every other version of this industry, you know, doing the same thing. So I always try to like keep in mind what they're doing, you know, and the hard work. But like at the end of the day, still, it's gotta be fucking metal, man. <laughs> I like the heavy stuff. I've tried to get away from it and uh, it just doesn't work. And so in the past many years, I've just, I've just leaned in. I just accept it like, uh, and it is what it is. And uh, yeah, it, it is, it's metal, man. Ever yeah. since freaking I did Kingdom of Giants and Darko, I'm like, man, yeah, this is the goods. I like doing this, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I love it. I think it's a good place to end the episode, man. I want to thank you for taking the time to hang out. I'm glad we finally got to do this, and it's uh, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, man. I apologize if I was a little all over the place. I just, I'm, I'm very passionate about 
the world and the business of this. So like sometimes I just, I think about everything I want. So I apologize if I was a little wild there. No, not at all. That was great. This was awesome, man. I really appreciate it. It's a really big honor to do this with you. It's kind of crazy. Never thought I'd even get to like this point. You know what I mean? So like, that's, it's a big deal for me. So thank you. All right, then. Another URM podcast episode in the bag. Please remember to share our episodes with your friends as well as post them to your Facebook and Instagram or any social media you use. Please tag me at ALLEVYURM Audio at URM Academy and, of course, tag our guests as well. I mean, they really do appreciate it. In addition, do you have any questions for me about anything? Email them to me at al at urm.academy. That's E-Y-A-L at urm.academy and use the subject line, answer me, al. All right then, till next time, happy mixing. You've been listening to the Unstoppable Recording Machine Podcast. To ask us questions, make suggestions, and interact, visit urm.academy and press the podcast link today.